You are listening to Real Life and Other Fantasies, a podcast by engaging storytellers for engaged story listeners. Here's your host, author and journalist, Melvin E. Edwards. Hello, fellow storytellers, and welcome to this edition of Real Life and Other Fantasies. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by a friend who has some thought-provoking stories to share with us today. I'm inviting all of you to act like a fly on the wall and listen to a conversation you probably never thought you needed to hear. It's important because it can save lives. Darren Evans, welcome to the Real Life and Other Fantasies podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I've really been looking forward to this. Yeah, so have I. Thanks for being here. So Darren Evans was born in Fort Dix, New Jersey, and raised in rural North Carolina. If North Carolina vinegar-based barbecue sauce could talk, it would probably sound like Darren. (laughs) (laughs) He has worked as a ditch digger, dishwasher, short-order cook, a soldier, a bouncer, and a teacher. He has an undergraduate degree in history and a master's degree in instructional technology. He's the director of the North Carolina Virtual Learning Community and Professional Development Center and an accessibility technologist. He has made presentations nationally on digital accessibility. In his spare time, Darren enjoys swimming and judo. His bucket list item is to swim the Dakar Gori Marathon Swim in Senegal, West Africa. But Darren, in this conversation, we'll be talking about several subjects, but mostly about swimming and water safety as we're nearing the Labor Day weekend. That's probably not a topic that seems like that big of a deal to a lot of people. But when you talk about 3,500 annual drownings, it's a big deal. And when we talk about the reasons behind many of those drownings, it's an even bigger deal. Uh, One of the things that many Americans don't realize is that Jim Crow segregation had many tentacles and several of the longest reaching ones still impact children to this day when it comes to water safety. Can you tell us about why your dad insisted that you and your siblings take swimming seriously? Well, my dad was a drill sergeant in the army and he was a, a very strict guy. And uh, he saw swimming as a survival skill. So he would say it all the time, you kids are going to learn to swim. It's a survival skill. So he was not really into sports, but he he was very emphatic that the two things I'm going to make all of y'all do is you're going to have to take some sort of martial art and you have to learn to swim because every person should be able to swim and defend themselves. So that was his major, major thing. And, uh, Interestingly enough, he swam almost every day of his life, but he never set foot in a public pool in his lifetime at all. Not not once. He taught himself how to swim at the Noose River in uh, Dudley, North Carolina. Uh, He had never, of course, he grew up during Jim Crow, so he was never allowed to go in a public pool. So he never went to a YMCA, a public pool, anywhere. Anytime he swam, it was on a military base somewhere. Wow. And so he passed that skill, at least the the interest in the skill along to you. Yeah, well, we didn't have much of a choice. It was, <laughs> you know, it was just one of those things you had to do. Um, and again, he he knew drowning statistics backwards and forwards. Um, 
And one of the interesting things that he used to say that I thought was, he just made that up. Turns out it's true that 50% of people that drown never intended on being in the water at all. Mm. They, they were at a lake, they were at a river, they were having a cookout, they slipped, they fell, uh, somebody challenged them to something and they got in, they got taken by an undertow. Um, so I thought that was just sort of a, uh, a real life fantasy in a sense, but <laughs> turns out that that's a, that's a reliable statistic worldwide, actually. Um, so I thought that was a, a fascinating thing. And, wow. you know, he just believed you should be able to swim, right? It's just the earth's 70% water. Um, you're eventually going to find yourself in water, around water, and you need to be able to survive. All right, a slightly different um, question here. Um, do you think the 2007 Terrence Howard movie about the black Philadelphia swim team was a novelty hit because of the perception that black people can't be good swimmers? Well, it was a good movie, and, and, and Jim Ellison's got a great story. Uh, and I always struggle with this question or this kind of line of thought because – in a sense, uh, one of my favorite writers, besides you, is, is, is Toni Morrison. And, and she's got a quote that just, I think it fits here. And it's the very real purpose of racism is distraction. It's to distract you from your work because you're constantly, have to, constantly having to describe or detail or explain your reason for being. Um, there is a stereotype that black people don't swim, but <laughs> it would be like me uh, taking tennis equipment from you, right? <laughs> Saying, Melvin, you never can have a racket or a ball or a net. And then, you know, two years later, I come and go, why can't Melvin play tennis? Right. I, I don't get it. I mean, you know, those Texans don't play tennis. <laughs> None of them, right? So I think one story that will illustrate the point I'm trying to make is it's Kwame Lillard and Matthew Walker. So Kwame Lillard and Matthew Walker were two young men lived in Tennessee. Um, They lived in Nashville. Uh, Kwame had just gotten out of Fisk University, an historically black college in in Nashville. And uh, he didn't have a job, so... He was working with the Freedom Riders. So before people went to Mississippi, they would stop in Nashville and he would sort of alert them to the the moors of Southern culture in the 60s. So one hot summer day, he was with his friend Matthew Walker and he said, you know, it's hot. Why don't we go swimming? And Matthew says, sure. Yeah, we'll just go swimming. So they go to Centennial Park in Nashville, which was, of course, this is during Jim Crow. It's 1961. Uh, they are vigorously escorted out of the pool. And three days later, the city of Nashville closes all municipal pools. Every last one of them. Wow. And even today in Centennial Park, uh, where that pool was, is now the Centennial Art Center. So they drained the pool, they filled it with concrete, and they built an art center on top of it. Uh, The reason I tell that story is sometimes you have to look at the small picture to understand the big picture. And this happened all over the country. So now we don't really even build public pools anymore. 
uh, swimming has become sort of a luxury item. I can look at almost your zip code and say, well, that kid can swim probably. Or this kid can't because that was the sort of the explosion of country clubs, um, private swimming pools in neighborhoods. And one of the sort of strange things is you can't target discrimination, right? People think you can, think you can just, I'm going to go after this group, but you end up hurting more people than you probably intended. So once we stopped building public pools, not only did black swimming rates go down, so did white swimming rates of a certain economic level. So it ended up hurting everybody across the board. And the reality is that uh, black people have always been swimmers, right? Uh, we come mostly from West Africa. Um, there's a lot of, if you go to Senegal or Ghana, they're going to eat a lot of fish. Um, that's just part of their, their diet, part of their staples. And if you're going to be a fisherman, you have to learn to swim. So um, it's well documented that black people have been swimming for centuries. And one of the things about stereotypes is they sort of become ingrained. And I think, you know, there are reasons black people don't swim, but we have to make sure we don't let reasons become excuses. All right. There's a, there's a big difference between those two things. Absolutely. So, so my dad was like, yeah, there's a reason uh, I'm, I'm not taking you to a public pool, but you're going to learn to swim. And I think that's, the history is the history, right? We can't do anything about that. Uh, we have to acknowledge it and say that, yes. you know, maybe the fact that we don't have public swimming pools uh, as much as we used to, maybe the fact that we, you know, fill these pools with concrete and drain them, maybe that has a little bit of effect on black swimming rates, maybe just a, just a smidge. Just a um, but, <laughs> yeah, we can also sort of overcome that and and look at this a little more, um, I guess, um, holistically. Now, one of the one of the exceptions to the no public pools is Philadelphia. You talked about uh, Jim Ellis earlier. Um, Jim Ellis, excuse me, earlier. Uh, he went to Cheney State, um, an historically black college, and. and Pennsylvania, and uh, there's some debate. I'm here in Raleigh. Is Shaw the oldest HBCU here in Raleigh or, or Cheney State? So I have to represent my people here. <laughs> but the reality is it's Cheney State. So he swam there, and he started the Philadelphia Department of Recreation swim program in, in West Philadelphia. And uh, many people don't know this. So even though that's a uh, by zip code, you'd think most people in Philadelphia, you know, would be struggle swimming, uh, but they don't, uh, or they have slightly higher rates because they have access to public pools. So he started a swim team there, and, and you mentioned the the movie with Terrence Howard. You can see it; it's a good feel, good movie. Bernie Mac is comic relief, so everybody should 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 get it. But I I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the most famous alumni of that swim team is the comedian Kevin Hart. He swam mm -hmm. with PDR, so he's a very, he is a phenomenal swimmer. You can, you know, uh, Google him, Kevin Hart and swimming, and you'll see that he's really, really phenomenally good at swimming.
Uh, so the thing is, if we have access to pools, people end up swimming better, right? I happen to live in a neighborhood where we have a community pool in my neighborhood. And of course, all the kids here can swim because the parents take them. There's somebody there that's going to teach them swimming if, if they need it. Um, so getting back to your original question, that stereotype bugs me because we made some deliberate policy choices. And those things led to where we are. And I think not acknowledging that or using that as just a stereotype. Well, black people can't swim. They have heavier bones or whatever. Yes. <laughs> Some of the reasoning is outright bizarre. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and I think one of the one of the, the most rate, I was a bouncer, so I've been called every name in the book. But one of the things that I think was most racist or affected me, and I totally overreacted to this, I think, in, to an extent. So when I got to college um, in North Carolina, you had to swim to graduate college. You'd come to college. The first thing they would do is they would make you take a swim test. If you couldn't swim, they'd put you in a PE. If you didn't have, you had to have a PE credit to graduate. So essentially they would throw you in the pool. You had to drown proof. You had to tread water. And then you had to, you know, swim a couple of lengths. So, of course, I get there and everybody's looking at me like, are you going to do this? I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't I? <laughs> Part of it is, uh, as you said, I grew up in a very rural environment. And um, essentially, I, I grew up around black people, right? All the black people I knew could swim. My cousins in Philadelphia, my cousins in Buffalo, uh, my mom, my dad, my brothers, my sister, we could swim. It was just, I never really thought about that sort of stereotype. And I realized that at, at that moment that a lot of times black people exist as an abstraction, right? They don't really know us. So they kind of ascribe characteristics to us, right? You know, yes. Somebody see you and go, why is he wearing a cowboy hat? Well, 25% of cowboys were black. It was a hard job. Yes. You never see that represented in like popular media. So again, when you don't really know something, um, and one of the things I, I, I was talking to my, you know, my, my, my dad, my mom, and my mom said something that stuck with me my whole life. And I'm going to tell my son, she, she said, don't you feel a little pathetic trying to explain your humanity to people? Yes. And I went, wow. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's, that is an interesting way to put it. She was like, they don't really know you. So getting back to that story, uh, so I, I did my swim test. I passed and I, I would go, you know, in the mornings and I would swim um, just to, for mental health reasons. And I worked at, I had a work study job at the recreation department. So I would go there and check out equipment to people, make sure, you know, they weren't killing each other in basketball or, 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 or the weight room. And uh, so one of my workmates comes and says, I saw you at the swim test. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> Great. I, I, I saw you too. I, uh, what does that mean? He said, 
you can swim. I was like, uh, yeah. He said, why don't most black people swim? And I just went off on him. I was like, you think they call me? Hold on. I got a call. Hey, Darren, it's black people. Can you teach us to swim? I'm like, well, I said, black people can swim. I swim. My dad swims. My mom swims. And I'm just going completely off on them. And, and then I realized, I was like, oh, okay. That's what my parents were trying to tell me about abstraction, right? They, since they don't know you, they, right? And I realized, I was like, okay, so this person who's saying this is, you know, he's from upstate New York. I'm like, I'm probably the first black person he's ever talked to. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like wow. just statistically, when you think about it, where, where he grew up. So in these days, we, you know, we have the internet. We didn't have Google. So I, I looked up the stats on where he came from and I was like, Oh, okay. He's never, you know, in his mind, he probably heard that somewhere. And then here I come and he, it just, sort of maybe broke his brain a little bit. You were the first one to disprove it. And and that's, yeah. but again, I, I still think, and, and I do this sometimes, I'm, I'm guilty of it. It's not my job to explain your stereotype, why it's wrong. I mean, if I did that, I, I, <laughs> I could do that all day. I've got, I've got things to do. And that's what Tony Morrison meant about that sort of, that distraction. You know, you've got other things you need to be doing rather than explaining to him that, no, I, I, I don't have bigger bones than people. Yes, I float. <laughs> yes, I, uh, I can swim. Uh, I've never been as good a swimmer as I want to be, but I'll never stop trying because that's just something, you know, I, I enjoy doing. So yeah, that was uh, uh, I was just like going off. They don't call me, and I remember when we were in the equipment room. I pick up the phone like, "Oh, it's black people. They're calling me." <laughs> the phone call you've been waiting for. Yeah. <laughs> one, one thing you mentioned about having to um, pass a, a swim um, test for part of a PE credit. And, and how swimming can be interwoven into things that you may not consider and, and learning how to swim can also enhance your ability to um, advance yourself and to get other opportunities, uh, opportunities. Uh, one of the things um, that I'd never even thought about before, my oldest daughter uh, was initially a um, marine biology major and she had to pass a swimming test and a scuba diving test. Because as part of that major, she was spending lots of time in the water. You're your marine biology major. Uh, but I just thought, well, they'll be looking at slides under microscopes and, and looking at things in test tubes. But they actually have to view things up close and, and gather samples and things like that. And you have to be a good swimmer for that. Yeah, and that's that's just part of that that particular job. And it's something that I really do think that the swimming rates – uh, it's like 64% of black children don't swim. It's 40-something um, percent of, of, of white children because of these 
you know, these lack of municipal pools and how we've sort of privatized that. But it gives you some careers you can think about. It gives you uh, just opportunities uh, that we don't necessarily think about. And we've made some policy decisions. I've got I've got a friend who I was in the military with. He's now in the UK. He has his kids now. Part of their primary school curriculum is swimming. Every kid, and, and you know, people will say, well, we can't do that in the USA, or that's not practical. We're the richest country on the planet. You mean tiny Great Britain can do something that we can't? I mean, I just refuse to believe that. So there are, again, these were concrete policy choices that have led to where we are. And again, I hope if, if this podcast does nothing, I hope if it encourages one person to teach their child to swim, uh, to take up swimming, it's been a rousing success, in, in my opinion. If we can just do that and get them to think about uh, that history, the stereotype is not true. And again, not our job to go out and explain that to people. <laughs> but it's like, here's a video of me swimming. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's not my job to, to do. Right. Uh, but I hope we can encourage people and we can think about, you know, swimming as a survival skill as a sport that can save your life. And, and you know, that that's, that's powerful. And that's something yes. that we should really embrace. Um, and I, in particular, think black people should learn to swim just because it's kind of a... Yeah, with six, you mentioned 64% of black people who don't know how to swim. That's a priority. That's a, a group yeah. that should be prioritizing this. And like I said, 50% of the people that, that end up drowning never intended to be there, uh, to be in water. Um, we just had a, a young lady in Newburgh, North Carolina, which is it's where the Noose and Trent Rivers meet. It's a picturesque, pretty little town. Um, she was seven. She fell in the water. But her mom luckily had been taking her to swim lessons that the YMCA was offering at, at low cost. So she was able to save herself. Mm. And her mom was like, I, if I'd have gone in there, I would have drowned. And wow. one of the stats that really, really hits me is that if your parents don't swim, right, there's a 78% chance that you're not going to swim if your parents yeah. don't. Well, b before you go down that one, that story, I, I do want to bring that up on the other side of the break. We do need to take a break right now. Okay. Um, so just a short one. When we come back, we're going to continue talking to Darren Evans about water safety and his experiences as a nightclub bouncer. <laughs> we'll be right back. Make 1908 House of Wine and Ale your new favorite destination between San Antonio and New Brownfels. With 15 ales on tap, more than 30 craft beers in cans and bottles, and over 70 wines, we have a selection that's perfect for both relaxing with a glass or gathering with your friends. We even have wine on tap. That's right, we have wine on tap. www.1908houseofwine.com Family and animal friendly. Hello, it's Opportunity here. I'm calling because I have an idea for you. 
If you have a business, you could be reaching our engaged listeners right now instead of just listening to us talking about you reaching our engaged listeners. We can be your microphone to shout out to anyone from coast to coast who listens to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google. Reach out to us at melstorytellingpodcast at gmail.com and we can craft a plan that works best for you. That's melstorytellingpodcast at gmail.com. melstorytellingpodcast at gmail.com. Now, back to real life and other fantasies. All right, we're back with Darren Evans to continue our conversation. So, uh, Darren, uh, when I, where can our listeners get some free or low-cost swimming lessons, and how can the adults in their lives make themselves safer around the water? Well, here in North Carolina and nationwide, you have YMCAs that offer um, need-based swim lessons. So if there's a local Y, you can do that. Um, there's a great organization if you happen to be in the Long Island area uh, called Black People Will Swim. And she offers um, free swimming lessons and she has wait lists, right? Um, so it's an organization. You've probably seen some of the commercials. Um, she was in a Toyota commercial uh, for her, her organization. So there are lots of low-cost and potentially free. So I'm part of U.S. Masters Swimming, and that's the you know United States Masters Swimming. It's part of USA Swimming. And April is a Don't Learn to Swim month. So if you can get on Google, find a local Masters team, um, you can go down in April, and they'll give you instructions. They'll get you. They'll get you started. So there are lots of opportunities that are. Low cost. If there's a pool somewhere, somebody's going to teach you to swim there. Even if you're in a slightly rural area, um, you can find a place uh, to learn to swim. And it's never too late to learn. Uh, You take it one step at a time. You scaffold it and and you'll get there. It doesn't. It's like anything else. It doesn't come. um, Of course, you can't do what you've never done it before. Right. right? I mean, it's like. So for adults who never swam before and who may be embarrassed to admit they don't know how to swim, how do you encourage them to to get out there and give it a try? I say, listen, we've all done embarrassing things, right? I've done embarrassing things in college. It's okay to it's okay to admit that you don't know how to swim. The main thing is I, I tell people, get started. Um, try to do it. Figure out what your why is. Why do you want to learn to swim? And then think about, you know, you want to, there was a, an older woman I taught uh, a couple of months ago. Um, you know, she was turning 70. So she grew up under Jim Crow. She said, I never had the chance to learn. She said, I've always been sort of afraid of the water. Um, so we just started very slowly. So we're just going to get in. And part of the philosophy I was thinking was, we're going to expose you to this so that you see that, it's, well, this isn't as scary as I thought. You know, it's it's always that perception of fear that's worse than the actual thing right. itself. Right. So we got her in uh, the first session. I just talked to her, Melvin. <laughs> We just talked. So why would you learn to swim? What do you think is going to happen? What's your major fear? 
what can I do to sort of alleviate that? How can I help you reach this goal? So, well, I'm going on a cruise and something may happen. And I said, okay, so let's just, I said, so the next time we meet, we're just going to get in. That's it. Just going to get in the water. And I, I want you to sort of see how your body reacts. I said, we're going to try to float. She's like, you know, black people don't float. I was like, yes, they do. <laughs> I was like, yes, they do. And then you started and, and, with the, with the a trigger that you had earlier in your yeah, life. <laughs> yeah. It brought me back. And I was like, okay, I can't go off on her the same way. I said, I said, yes, they do. Okay. I said, your lungs are flotation devices. So you're going to take a deep breath. I just want you to lay back in the water. And just to see the smile on her face, like I'm floating, I'm floating. I mean, that was a wow. that was a high for me to see that. And and I'll admit it, when she swam her first lap unassisted, she swam down to the deep end and she came back. Maybe I cried a little bit. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. We don't want to do yeah, that. <laughs> I, I'm securing my masculinity, so maybe there were a few tears of of joy. And just seeing where she came from and what she overcame. So I would encourage people to kind of face that fear and, and, and conquer it. And that translates to other things. So she's a retired teacher. So she went on the cruise. And now she's thinking, you know, do you think I'd be too old? She, I talked to her a couple of weeks ago. You think I'd be too old to be a, a lifeguard? I was like, no, oh, you're in great shape. I was great. like, I was like, that would be great. She said, I'd like to teach little kids to swim now. So she's out there now swimming laps, going up and down. Right. And uh, she looks like she's in her 50s. Uh, she's, I guess, 71 now, 72. Wow. Um, so I really do think confronting that fear, it has some downstream effects and some some side effects that that have helped. Uh, she seems more just confident as a person. And, and some things she wanted to do, she was like, I've always wanted to go to Spain. That was sort of her bucket list. And now she's booked a trip to Spain. Wow. I'm not saying that, that I had anything to do with having teaching her to swim, but I, I think that sort of transition in her own mind of, oh, I can plan to do something. And if I work this process, I'll get the outcome I desire. And I think that flipped a switch in her head a little bit. Wow. Um, so I'm going to take credit for that. <laughs> Might as well. And because yeah. of you, she's probably she's probably going to swim from North Carolina to Barcelona. Yeah. <laughs> She'd probably try. <laughs> she, she might even try. Okay, I got another quick question here for you. Um, I know you read a lot of books on a lot of different subjects. So do you have any books that you recommend relating to this subject? I've got some props for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, this is, most people will, will hear this. They won't see it. So okay. you'll have to do a little description. Okay. This, there's a book called Undercurrents of Power, and it's by Professor Kevin Dawson at the University of California at Merced. And he talks a lot about the, the subtitle is Aquatic Culture in the African Diaspora. So he talks about the aquatic culture in Africa before 
Africans were enslaved and, and brought to America. We're actually a different ethnic group, right? We're not Africans. We're actually Americans. When we got over here, we were, well, you, you, we know the history. So undercurrents <laughs> of power is one that I would uh, recommend. Uh, there's Splash by Howard Means, which is just, it's 10,000 years of swimming. And he just talks about the history of swimming. He does not shy away from Jim Crow and talking about, um, you know, these pools getting concrete filled in and drained and, and how that has led to, you know, some of the disparities we see. And, and, and again, swimming is becoming sort of a luxury item. So that's one I would recommend. And then there's Why We Swim by Bonnie Sue, which is just a love letter to swimming. She mm-hmm. does get into some of the the history. Um, it's just undeniable. I mean, it's well documented. We know that swimming was something that was uh, that excluded black people. I mean, it did. I um, we know the history. Uh, the main thing I'm here to do is is encourage people who can't swim to. You know, go to their local master's club, go to their local YMCA, um, and find those, if you can't afford it, find those low-cost alternatives. They exist. Uh, they're there. April is Adult Learn to Swim Month. The U.S. Masters has devoted a ton of resources. Um, you can go there. You can find someone who will be willing to teach you, willing to work with you. And, and once you do that, you conquer that demon you're going to say to yourself, well, gee, what else can I do that I haven't done? What else can I maybe, if I apply the same principle, right, of I work this process, and, and a lot of times, and I tell this to my swimmers or the people I'm trying to teach sometimes, I don't formally do this because I've got a job and other things to do, but when I have people, I, I, I sit down initially and we just talk. And then I I tell them there's a process and then there's outcomes, all right? Those are two entirely different things. If you follow the process, you get the outcome. The people that focus on the outcome rather than the process, that's a fear-based response, right? You follow this process. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to float. We're going to glide. We're going to do the process. The process, if we follow the process, we're inevitably going to get the outcome. So we're not even going to look at the, and I tell them all the time, you hear people talk about big picture thinkers. We're going to think about the small picture, right? We're going to look at the the small picture of just, we're going to do one thing at a time. And I've seen this, um, and I think this is the reason I like teaching people to swim so much, is you see a change in them and their personality because they realize, oh, I follow a process, right? If I have a documented process that works, I'll get an outcome I want. Well, gee, that's how you learn to play the piano. That's how you learn to, right. you know, write Just the first computer program. Yeah, that <laughs> applies to a lot of things. And then, well, then, gee, maybe I should save money and book that ticket to Barcelona, right? Because I can do these things. So that's one of the main takeaways uh, that I hope this podcast will have. I hope we can encourage just one person 
Uh, maybe more. More would be great, but one is is, is sufficient. What is the goal? Anything beyond that is great. It's, yeah, that's just you say in the south gravy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> trust me, I love gravy. <laughs> I don't know about gravy. I love it. Okay, look, I don't want to get you on the gravy tangent. <laughs> no, no, no. So I want to change subjects just a little bit. So I mentioned okay. in the intro, and then as a teaser, just before the break. Uh, that you've been a bouncer and a teacher. Yeah. Did you ever forget where you were and mix up the two? <laughs> they, are, they, they are surprisingly similar. <laughs> I had a lady, I was on an interview committee, and a lady, I guess she looked up her LinkedIn, and she said, well, Darren, I see you used to be a, a middle school teacher. She said, what's the difference between being a middle school teacher and teaching college faculty? And I had to say, um, <laughs> not as much as you would think. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, sometimes I would, I would get mixed up. They're both they're surprisingly similar in the sense that they're both about psychology and talking people down off of ledges. So as a bouncer, it's got it's always guys. Right. And it's always over some woman. Um I will say one truism as a bouncer, any bouncer will tell you, women are much meaner and tougher than men, right? Most guys are going to fight. They, they're, they're looking at me like, Darren, could you come separate us? <laughs> I don't really want to do this. If two women fight, dial 911. <laughs> and it's about to get a lot bigger, too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, it's serious. So, yeah, I would sometimes confuse where I was, but they were both – and I think this is true of all jobs. I always say, you know, now I work in technology and I hold things, uh, but it's, you're always working with people, right? You're always, it's about relationships. It's about, uh, I call it when I was a teacher, I used to call it my get them in the car philosophy, right? If I want you to take this trip with me, I got to get Melvin in the car with me. And and how do I do that? And and that's really how you do anything. So yeah, I would sometimes confuse where I was, but the skill set was exactly the same. It was convincing people to do stuff, saying, "Come on, man, you do you really want to do that? You don't want to do that." And then I'm going to call your mom. So kind of... You took it to the next level. Yeah. yeah. So... All right. So as we start to wind down this, this episode of the podcast, I want to give you a chance to, to talk about some other stories and some other topic, any topic that you want to talk about. I'm just going to turn the mic over to you and, and let you do with it whatever you want. So the floor is yours. Oh, well, here's a, here's a, b- a bouncing story. Um, that I hope will illustrate the the people story. So when I at the bar, again, most bouncers will tell you that it really isn't about fighting. Um, if you're going to be a bouncer, I would recommend you go get an adolescent psychology book and read it. Seriously, that would be my first tip to you. Not, not learn your, you know, your waza judo joint locks. Uh, get that psychology book. So one night, a, a guy comes in, and um, I guess his girlfriend had left him, or it it was over a woman somehow. So he breaks a bottle, and he comes after me. And it was, at that moment, you could have said, I'll give you $5 million, or you can hurt Darren. He said, no, no, forget the money. I want to hurt this guy. Wow. Okay, so keep that in mind. So one day, in my, my new job is 
you know, the director of the virtual learning community, I'm, I'm working with a guy that I've been, you know, sort of working with in, in another community college. So I'm responsible for the 58 community colleges in North Carolina and their digital accessibility. So I'm working with this guy and um, I'm thinking about this story and, you know, he's just getting on my nerves, Melvin. He has a reputation of, of getting on people's nerves. I look at him and I go, David, one time as a bouncer, this guy broke a bottle. He came at me. He was physically trying to hurt me. You're getting on my nerves right now more than he did. <laughs> I can't accept that in my head. I'm struggling with <laughs> I could justify him, but I'm actually more annoyed with you right now with what you're doing and what you've been doing to this team than that guy. So that was one that I had to, and I still laugh about that because I, I was, he was, David was being worse. And I think that gets that illustration of, of people that you're always going to have to either, you know, try to work with them. You're going to have to try to understand them, try to put yourself in their shoes. And I have one last quick story that I'll tell okay. uh, before we go. So uh, one night in college, it's late at night. Uh, my GI Bill money's not there. My friends are gone. It's a Friday night. And I, I look around my room. I find a dollar. I was like, thank you. I look under the bed. I find a nickel or a dime. I don't remember. So I'm going to walk to the store, right? I'm going to walk to the store. It's 11 o'clock at night. I'm walking to get some quick chocolate milk. And that's all that's on my head, right? I'm totally focused on. So I lived on, my dorm was on a hill. I'm going to walk down. I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to get this chocolate milk and it's just going to be sweet, chocolatey and delicious. That's all I'm worried about at 11 o'clock. So I'm walking. My, I'm paying zero attention to my surroundings. I'm paying zero attention to the fact that it's 11 o'clock at night. A young co-ed walks in front of me. She starts getting faster and faster and faster. And I stop in the middle of the street and I go, you know, women get attacked. I never spent one second thinking that it's 11 o'clock at night and I shouldn't be out here. I've never in my life spent one second thinking about going somewhere and getting physically dominated. And then I thought, you know, probably most women do. And it made me think that this was probably actually the most important thing I learned in college, I, I think. And it was... What else don't I know? And then I thought, the other voice in my, my head said, dummy, there's a lot you don't know. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but I, I tried to look, that was the first time I tried to look at the world through someone else's eyes. And I realized, oh, I have a, most privileged people don't know they're privileged because they never think about it. I. So when it's 11 o'clock, somebody might attack me. I'm like, okay, good luck. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they're going to attack me. All right. I mean, I, I knew, you know, it, it was just something that made me think about. So whenever somebody asks me about any kind of privilege, I always tell that story. Because I, what I want it to do is I want it 
to by focusing on myself and that story, I want them to think about, well, gee, I've never thought about this subject like that. So uh, that's what I hope will work. So just thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it. I, you don't know how much I'm, I appreciate you for being here and, and hearing all these stories. This is really fascinating stuff. Hopefully we can continue this conversation probably offline or maybe we can come back and have you have you come back again sometime and, and tell us some more stories. I'll give you more chance to expound on your your love for gravy. Yeah, <laughs> now that, that's going to have to be a two parter, Melvin. <laughs> series, yeah, part four: Darren and Gravy, the Southern Experience. All right, so thanks a lot, Darren. Uh, Thank you, Melvin. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, that's it for today's edition of Real Life and Other Fantasies. Join us again next time as another great storyteller takes us on a different mental road trip to destinations unknown. Until then, remember to shine some light wherever you go. That was another edition of Real Life and Other Fantasies with your host, Melvin E. Edwards. Join us again next time for more stories about more things than you can imagine. Some of those true stories may even be about real life. See you next time.